That's been the big news of this past week, hasn't it? Uh, it hasn't been the end of the world. Uh, there was a whole load of people who were suggesting it, way back from the Mayan Empire. Uh, it's been suggested, the idea has been that the end of the world was going to be on the 21st of January, uh, of December, <laughs> 21st, and maybe it is going to be, I don't know, 21st of December 2012, and it didn't happen. Uh, thankfully, Vladimir Putin has stepped in. I don't know whether you've seen the news. Vladimir Putin has stepped in and uh, he said, we've got it wrong. It's actually going to be the end of the world in 4.5 billion years. That sounds to me like an easy get out because nobody is going to remember Vladimir Putin's suggestion in 4.5 billion years. But it's good that the, um, that the Russian president knows the story about the future of the world. Having said that, it's interesting, isn't it? Isn't it interesting? I think that things like this Mayan prophecy, things about uh, the future, things about the end of the world, they, they tap into something about you and me. They really do. There is something fascinating about the idea of the end of the world. We all are interested in uh, what's going to happen in the future. The future is something that we want to know about. At the same time, why do we even talk about the end of the world? I think there's something that inside of us that tells us it can't just go on continuously, continuously, that we feel we have a sense of beginning, we have a sense of end. And I think that the, the Mayan prophecy that was uh, supposedly written down all of those years ago and hasn't come come true, um, taps into something of our being, something of what we are. There is something about the future. You know, God's people, the Jews, this is uh, what we're thinking about this afternoon, the Jews had a real sense of identity in the Old Testament. When we're reading from the book of Isaiah, just to give you a little bit of background, if you're not quite sure where this fits into history, the Jewish nation has been established over these past few months. We've been looking at the life of Abraham. He started the Jewish nation. He was the, the founding patriarchal father of the Jewish nation. Uh, and it has become established over time. Uh, and it has been the nation which has been promised by God. Right the way through the Old Testament, we see their story. We see how it works out. We reach this point in the book of Isaiah, and it's a fascinating point, because what's happened is that the Jewish nation has developed, it's grown, it's, it's progressed, it's uh, developed, it's been really incredibly successful, as God promised, so that we have King David and King Solomon, the kind of pinnacle, and then it all goes horribly, horribly wrong. It falls apart. And the Jewish nation end up in captivity. They are in captivity uh, held by the Babylonian nation, the greatest empire that had been seen at that point in the world, greater even, some would say, greater even than the Egyptian empire, some would claim. Certainly by this point in the world's history, the Babylonian empire was the most successful. And God's people have found themselves in captivity. Now, at that point, there is a crisis. Because, after all, aren't we those who have been promised by God to have a future? That's the issue that's at stake. 
We've been promised by God that we've got a future. I don't know what you think about your future. I don't know what you consider in terms of what you look forward. Can you have any sense of confidence that you have a future? Do you have that confidence? Can any of us have that confidence that we have a future? I would suggest that really, in a way, if it's down to just us, if it's down to just our own strength, our own ingenuity, or even the circumstances of this world, none of us can say, I've definitely got a future. None of us can say that. All sorts of things could happen. All sorts of events could take place. And yet what we see is that God has said to his people, you've got a future. You've got a future. And now they find themselves in captivity. The whole of the nation has been torn apart. The king in place in Jerusalem has been removed. Uh, The temple has been destroyed. There is crisis They seem at that point as though they have not got a future. Maybe some of us can at times feel like that. Where am I? Has God forgotten about me? Where am I? Is it it really as dark? Is there really any hope for the future? Right at that darkest time, at that point of crisis, there is a messenger by way of prophecy from God, his name is Isaiah. He comes and he speaks into the situation. That straight away says at least one thing. It says, according to the storyline of the Bible, God has not forgotten his people. He's not forgotten them. It might seem as though he has. The situations might suggest that it's a crisis, but the reality is that he's not forgotten. There is a voice that speaks into the situation. Now, as we read, the, the part that we read talks about, um, it talks about victory and it talks about success. In other words, God is saying, even though it feels like the, the world has fallen apart, even though it looks as though there is complete disaster because you are held in captivity, I am going to liberate you and I am going to free you from that oppression. That's my promise to you. That's the promise that he makes in those first few verses. He says that there is going to become a point of freedom and a point of liberty. He says it like this, The people in walk, walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nations and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. In other words, he's saying, you know, it sounds like there is going to be a victory. Warriors dividing the plunder, that sounds like success. We are in a complete crisis and God says there is going to be success. Then he goes on and he says this. Verse uh, 6 says this, what does that success look like? For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It's a really well-known part of the Old Testament 
if you've spent any time around the message of the Bible, the message of the gospel. What it is, is a little bit of writing, a little bit of promise, a message from God 700 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. 700 years. Maybe a little bit longer, maybe a little bit shorter. Somewhere between around about 730 and 680 BC, this was written. And the promise goes like this. The success is going to be a child born. (laughs) That doesn't sound like success to you and me, does it? A child being born doesn't sound like success. Not in nation terms, but God uses an even more remarkable set of words at this point. It's fascinating. He says this, for to us a child is born. For to us a child is born. Every child that is born is born to a family, isn't it? It's born to a mother. There is a mother in that situation. Inevitably, there has to be a mother. But it is born to a smaller community. I can't claim, nor can you claim, a birth that is distant from you. And yet what we see here, God is saying, is to people who are in captivity, your future is written in the birth of a child. In the future. To us, a child is born. That sounds a strange thing, doesn't it? It sounds strange that our hope in captivity... In Babylon, 700 years before Jesus is born, our hope is in the birth of a baby in Bethlehem. That's what it says. 700 years' time, the great news is, success is going to be a child born. Why is that child going to be such a great hope? Why is that idea of security going to be written into a child? Well, look at how it goes on to uh, speak about that child. Verse uh, 6, it says, That child who is going to be born, that son who is given to us, is going to carry the government on his shoulders. He's going to carry the government on his shoulders. He is going to bear it. That's what it says. He is going to bear that government. There is an incredible capability in all leadership, whether it's political leadership, whether it's work leadership, whatever the leadership, it is a rare thing, isn't it, for somebody to say, I will carry the responsibility. (laughs) How often do we see uh, a situation where somebody says, I am quite happy to take the point of leadership, but if anything seemingly goes wrong, I'm going to point the finger in every other direction that I possibly can. I have got Teflon shoulders and nothing will stick to me. (laughs) What does God say? He says, it's like this. When my ruler comes, he is going to bear it. He's not going to shirk it. He's going to bear it. He's going to stand there and he is going to take everything that hits him. He is going to carry the government on his shoulders. He is going to be the point of focus. He is going to be the point of what, that carries it all. Wouldn't it be great if we had a leader like that? 
wouldn't it? I'm not making, that is not a political comment, not at all. I'm saying that no leader, no ordinary human being leader can ever meet that requirement. No single person can fully bear the weight of leadership for the whole of a nation. It just cannot be done. And God says, this one will. How is he going to do it? He's going to be a wonderful counselor. He's going to, be, he's going to come with incredible wisdom. <laughs> a wonderful counselor. Somebody whose wisdom, somebody whose clarity of thought, somebody whose righteous counsel is going to be beyond anything you have ever seen. He's going to be a wonderful counselor. Why? Because he is the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. (laughs) That's amazing, isn't it? Now, just stop for a moment. God is saying the person who is going to come is going to be a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He's going to be God. God says in the Old Testament, I am not going to give my name to anybody. I will not give my name to anybody. Why does God say that? Because if he gives his name to anybody, it devalues that very name, doesn't it? It becomes less. It becomes less than it was. I saw a fascinating little, um, little uh, article in a magazine about whether people uh, take on the name when they get married of, of either their husband or their wife. Do we want to keep my name? Do we want to accept their name? Do we create a whole new name when we get married, a kind of mishmash? Or do we, you know, that whole kind of thing. Whose name is, is going to be the priority? Uh, One of the reasons that somebody might keep their name is because of a reputation that they have. Maybe they're in show business or something. They're recognized by that name. They're known by that name. And so if I lose that name, I'll lose something of my recognition in the public sphere. God says, my name is so superior, my name is so known, my name is of such value that it can't go to anybody else. And then he says, I'm going to give my name to this little baby. What a remarkable thought. I'm going to give my name to this little baby. Why? Because this child is going to bear my name in the world. He's going to bear my government in the world. In being the governor of my kingdom in this world, he is going to come with the whole authority of my name. Doesn't that change everything about that little Bethlehem scene? We, we look at it and we see it as, quite rightly and understandably, a remarkable scene. Maybe we surround it with a kind of acuteness or a beauty. The reality is, it is the governor of the kingdom of God's holy kingdom, bearing the name of God coming into this world. How incredible that is. What a remarkable claim. And then we remember that this was written 700 years before Jesus came into the world. It goes on to say, of the, government, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. I think it's really important that 
Because, to be perfectly honest, the government of Jesus seems to have ended, doesn't it? In human terms, it looks to have ended. Came into the world 2,000 years ago, lived 33 years, died on a cross, rose again, returned to heaven, gone. Apart from the storyline of the Bible, from this point and through the life of Jesus, and through the whole of the New Testament, right up to the book of Revelation, tells us something different. It tells us that that king, who came in human form as a little baby, has returned to hold the throne of heaven in preparation for his return as the king of all. Now, that is just, that is either the most ridiculous claim that could possibly be made, or it's true. It's either crazy, or it's true. So we have to say, well, why why do we believe that it might be true? We believe that it might be true because of the evidence that we have of the resurrected Jesus, the eyewitness accounts of the resurrected Jesus, which see Jesus returning to heaven and which see the continuing rule of Jesus in this world. The kingdom of heaven ruling now of His government there will be no end. I think that that ties in, actually, to this past week. You know, we want to know the future. So we look at all sorts of ideas, prophecies from different groups, different people, different suggestions, whether it's Nostradamus or whether it's the Mayan prophecies. Whatever it might be, we are anticipating a future. And what the Bible says is, let me lay it out for you. It works like this. Jesus is king. He comes into the world and he remains king until he returns and is seen by all to be king. That's the picture that we have. That's why this little reading in Isaiah chapter 9 says that His government will not end because it is a government that stretches right the way through to his return and into eternity, a government that continues, that will finally be seen by all. That's the idea that the Bible is suggesting is the truth behind the message of Christmas. It's bigger than a a, a birth in Bethlehem. It's the establishment of a kingdom. It's a king coming and placing himself in this world, making himself known and saying, I'm going to return. Uh, J.R. Tolkien wrote, uh, as you well know, the li- uh, not the Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe, it was his mate who wrote that, wasn't it? He wrote the, um, he wrote the Hobbit, Uh, And then he wrote the series, Lord of the Rings. The final Lord of the Rings uh, trilogy was called The Return of the King. For a reason. Because portrayed within that 
was the idea, the notion that the return of the king would bring once again peace. The idea of peace returning, justice being worked out, evil being defeated, success and, and peace washing out once again on those who had been faithful to the king who was to return. That's the idea that's behind it. Where does he get that kind of idea? Actually, he gets the idea from a much richer source. Gets the idea from the storyline of the Bible. The idea that, yes, the king is going to return. That what we see in Bethlehem is a king. What we see in Bethlehem is the establishment of a kingdom. And a kingdom that will be fulfilled, which will be completed, as we see here, which will have no end. Why? Because God is determined for it to happen. Look at what it says right at the end of verse 7. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. What, what, why are you confident if you are confident? Why am I confident that this is going to happen? Because I believe that God is behind it. And when God is determined for something to happen, He is able and willing to put signposts, stepping stones throughout history, which tie one prophecy together. Do you see with the difference to every other prophecy that I am aware of in every other idea, in every other concept that I have ever come across? If I'm wrong, if you know something else, please see me at the end. This is the storyline of the Bible which is consistently told that the king that is coming is the one who was spoken of 700 BC, who came into this world 2,000 years ago, who is promised to return at some point in the future. Consistency. The storyline of the Bible. Why? Because God is determined for it to happen. And that's great news.